Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles? Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 4 is going to be this morning. Luke chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands so you can follow along this morning and, and where we're, we're at in Luke. So if you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, you throw your hand up so we can get a Bible to you. And if you don't own a Bible, if you just never bought a Bible, grab one of these and then take it home as our gift to you so you can follow along God's Word here on Sunday morning so that during the week you can be in God's Word as well. Turn to, to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 16. As, you, as you're turning there, you probably notice that most businesses, most organizations have a mission statement. And they, they have this mission statement. Why? Because they want to make sure that everybody who's, who's working at the organization is tracking in the same direction. Like, hey, we know what we're doing. We know our purpose, our vision, what we're all in for. A mission statement also is for those outside of the organization to go, hey, hey, what are you guys all about? Oh, I see on your mission statement. This is what you're all about. Well, Luke chapter 4 in verse 16, we're about to find out what Jesus' mission is. His, his mission statement and what he's all about. And, and if you're a Christ follower, it's our mission statement as well. And all through this series, we've been tracking through this, this story of the kingdom. You can trace through scripture. And, and, and all through, you've, you've been noticing maybe as we're, as we're going through this, there's been this promise of a coming king. Everything in the Old Testament, keep pointing to this promise of a coming king. That, that we, we saw that God creates this kingdom. It's perfect and peaceful, but, but an enemy invades the kingdom. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they make this choice. They have a choice, and they say, you know what? We would rather be kings of our own kingdom. We would rather follow somebody. God, we don't trust you and your kingship over us, so we're going to go our own way. At that moment, two kingdoms are now tracking, and, and sin invades in this other kingdom, and, and we, see, we see from that moment, it's just everything begins to unravel. There's sickness and death and strife and depression and anxiety and selfishness and worry and fear and bitterness and hatred and anger. It all invades the kingdom, but in the midst of that, there was this promise that a king is going to come, and, and the king will come and set everything right. The, the enemy would be destroyed. The kingdom would be restored. And man, I cannot wait for next Sunday when we talk about how Jesus restores the kingdom. How, how, how Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life then died a death in our place, the death we deserve to die because we didn't live that perfect holy life. And then he rose again from the grave to conquer sin and death and set everything right. But here we see the king has finally arrived and he's about to preach his first sermon. He's giving his mission statement. He's going to tell us why he came to earth. He's going to tell us why God would leave heaven and become man. And he lays out this mission statement. And this morning we're going to see, hey, what is this mission statement and how, how does it change everything for us? I mean, what is it about Jesus' mission statement that, that radically and completely transforms everything about the way we do life? How does it set the trajectory for us as a church, and, and what does it really mean to follow the king? So, so if you've got your Bibles open to Luke chapter 4, here, here's where it begins in, in verse 16. It says that he, talking about Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, this is his hometown, right? He, he's coming back home. 
And, and, and Jesus had been preaching and teaching all over. In verse 16, it says that he'd been all over the surrounding country and, and he's been teaching, he's been doing phenomenal. I mean, news is spreading about this, this new teacher. He's getting more and more popular. Like, I mean, his, his Twitter account is lighting up, all right? His YouTube videos are getting like millions of hits. People are like all over this new teacher. They, they love this guy. And, and now what's happening, he's coming back home to preach. This is huge news for Nazareth. It's, it's the hometown guy coming home. He's the guy who, who made it out of Podunk, Nazareth. I mean, you read later in scripture where, where people see Jesus and they say, what, what, could anything good ever come out of Nazareth? It's one of those towns, all right? It's a town where, where, where everybody leaves, nobody comes back. It's, it's just this town, man, and here he comes in now. He's coming back into Nazareth. I mean, this would be one of those moments where, you know, those small towns and all they've got is that sign out front that says home of and that famous person. You're like, man, I didn't know they grew up here. Like they're like getting the sign ready because Jesus is coming back to Nazareth. It's a big deal. And, and he shows up at the synagogue. It says he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. He, here's the custom of Jesus. He, he, if Jesus were on earth today, he'd be like, see you in church on Sunday. Jesus valued getting together to, to, to hear the word. To, he would preach the word to worship together with others who are gathering together to worship God the Father. So verse 17, it says, and they give him the scroll to read. And he says, in the scroll, the prophet the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So, so they, they give him the scroll. They didn't have, Gutenberg hadn't invented the printing press yet, right? They don't all have their own Bibles. They've got these scrolls that were meticulously copied over and over again, kept in the synagogue and they give Jesus one of the scrolls. He unrolls it to find the place where he wanted to preach from. And he reads from Isaiah chapter 61. All eyes glued on Jesus as he says this, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He reads a, from a part of Scripture, a text that all of them would have known. They, they loved this part of Scripture. It was this messianic prophecy. It was, it was this, this prophecy of a king is coming, a Messiah is coming, the one who would restore the kingdom. They loved this. They've been waiting so long for the Messiah, for the king who would, who would come and restore the kingdom, the king who would come and set them, the captives, free. Verse 20 goes on. He says, and he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now he sits down. That doesn't mean he was done. In, in, in that custom, you would actually sit to preach. That was, that was the position of authority. You, you, you took the seat of authority and he sits down and everybody's staring at him. And you, you can imagine the, the tension in the room. They're like, man, what's he going to say? What's his sermon going to be? How is he going to explain that prophecy to us? Verse 21, he says this. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what did he just say there? He, he said, hey guys, listen, I am the Messiah. 
He, he reads this prophecy. He then sits down. He, he waits for everyone to stare at him watching. What's he going to say? And he goes, hey, what I just read here, that's me. I'm the king. And I'm here. I'm the anointed one. Where it says the Spirit is upon me because he's anointed me. That word anointed, it's where, it's where they would get the word Messiah from. It's where we get the word Christ from. He's Jesus Christ. Christ's not his last name. All right? that, that's his title. He's Jesus the King. Jesus the anointed one. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus Christ. He says, I'm the King. You see, you want to know God, then just look to me. You, you want to know the mission of God, I'm it. I am his mission. It's so radically different than any other religion that came before Jesus, any religion that comes after Jesus. Most prophets, what do they do? They would come and they would point to someone else. They'd be like, hey, you need to follow this. You need to follow this, this strategy of life, or you need to, to be following after this God. But Jesus shows up and he goes, no, I am it. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. The, the message, the gospel, the, what we call the good news is basically Jesus himself. He didn't come to preach the gospel, he was the gospel. He didn't come just to give bread, he said, I am the bread. He didn't come to shed the light. He says, I am the light. He didn't come just to show the way to the door. He says, I am the door. He didn't come to point the way. He said, I am the way. I'm the way. There's no other way to the Father but through me. I am God in the flesh. I am the King. I am the anointed one. I'm the one who's fulfilled the promises you've read about from the beginning. Amen. There you go. That's great. One person clapping is awkward. You should all join in on something like that, all right? It's awesome. Jesus is king. There you go. It's why I love that song we're just singing. That, that song that Eric just introduced to us. Where, where it's quoted from 1 Corinthians 1.20, where it says, All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. They're all fulfilled in Christ. When you read the promise, you're like, man, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. It's fulfilled in him. And so Adam pointed to Jesus as the, the true son of God who would fulfill the promises. Abraham pointing to Jesus as the one who would bring the blessings to the nations. Moses pointing to Jesus as the one who would truly rescue us in cap from captivity. David, the one who points to Jesus, the one who would truly be the king for eternity. And he says, I've come on mission. What's his mission? He says, I'm here to proclaim good news. He says, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor now that, that phrase there, you're the Lord's favor, a Jewish person hearing that, they understood what it meant because it's a, a phrase that was used in Leviticus 25 where, where there was a law that, that God put out on his people. He said, here's what I want you to do. Every 50 years, I want you to celebrate the year of Jubilee, the, the, the year of my favor. And, then, and the year of Jubilee, so they go 49 years and they celebrate the year of Jubilee. On the year of Jubilee, all debts were to be paid, were to just be set free. You're in debt, it doesn't matter, it's wiped clean. Anybody who had enslaved themselves to pay off debt, they were set free. They're no longer enslaved anymore. Land given back. It was this, this year, a whole year of celebration. They were, they were to grow crops that year. Just let the land rest even. Now history tells us Israel never actually obeyed God in this. They never once celebrated year of Jubilee. And Jesus says, I'm here and we're celebrating this. 
He says, I haven't come to give you more laws. I, I haven't come just to preach great sermons. I, I haven't come to give you instructions on how to lead a better life or, or become a better version of you. No, I'm, I'm here to show you what? I'm here to show you that you're poor, you're blind, you're captive, you're oppressed, you're lost in your sin, and I've come to set you free. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Now, what's the reaction to this? Look at verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? Now, that's not a slag on Jesus. They're just saying, I can't believe this is Joe's kid. I, I, remember, I remember him growing up. I mean, he made a bench for my family. I mean, he was a good carpenter. I, I can't believe that this amazing teaching and preaching is coming, from, like that the Messiah would be from our town. And they think, this is awesome. And, and Jesus at that moment, I think he's going, I don't think they get it. They're so fired up about what I'm saying, I don't think they quite understand what I'm saying. So he, goes, he, he starts to explain more what this mission will look like. Look at verse 23. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Well, we've heard you did it. Capernaum, do, do here in your hometown as well. And Jesus saying, hey, hey, listen, you need to understand something that, that I'm the king. Because you, you're eventually, you're going to say this, hey, 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 those tricks we see you doing, those, those miracles we do, hey, hey, why don't you come do them for us? Why don't you dance for us? Why don't you do your tricks for us? Why don't you do those things here? And Jesus saying, listen, I need to understand something, that I'm not coming as your homeboy. I'm not coming as the one to perform for you. I'm coming as your king. When I was a kid, I, I remember doing this. Maybe you did this too. We would catch flies and then we'd find the girl with the longest hair, and we'd pull one of her hairs out of her head, right? And then you'd tie a little noose around the fly's neck. Did anybody ever do this? Any other weird kids like me, right? And you'd tie it around, and then you'd have this fly on a leash. It was, you'd walk around school with your little, right? Right? Okay, here's the point. It's, it's not that, man, Kai, did you not have Atari growing up? I know you were like pre-iPhone days, but like seriously, that was your fun. Here's... here's Here's what I'm getting at. I mean, I've totally lost you, haven't I? No, come back. We, we'd be, you'd, the fly would think it was free. You'd let the fly out for a little bit, then you'd pull it back when you wanted, and you would kind of walk this fly around. And, and here's what happens. I think as people, we treat Jesus a little bit like that. We believe we could tie God on a string and we can control where he goes. And, and, and Jesus, you give me the life I want. You give me the career I want. You restore this relationship. You heal this sickness. You, you take care of this brokenness. You give me the, the finances that I want. I, you give me the lack of suffering and the comfort that I want. You do all of this, Jesus, and, and I'm good following you. Otherwise, I'm pulling you back. As long as you do this, I'll give you more freedom. I'll let you out. You can be Jesus, but, but, but you need to do these things. And it's at that point as we try to pull that back that Jesus says, I'm not a fly you control. I am the awesome, mighty creator of the universe. And, and we want Jesus to do our bidding. And Jesus steps up and goes, no, 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 you don't get it. I've come as the king. And here, here, Jesus, he's quoting Isaiah 61, and, and that's where the quote comes from, but he, he stops when he says, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor, he stops short. There's, there's another verse that comes after that in Isaiah 61, where it says this, and the day of vengeance of our God. 
Now, how can it be the year of Jubilee and the day of vengeance? How, how can it be joy and vengeance? And, and Jesus steps in the gap between those two sayings. Between those two senses, he says, I'm gonna step right here in the gap. Because here's the thing, the Israelites used to believe this. They believed that Jesus, sort of the Messiah was gonna come and, and he would, it would be the year of Jubilee for them because the vengeance would be taken out on all their enemies. All the people who have been around them, oppressing them, not for them, vengeance was coming on them. They would get the favor, everybody else would get the fury. And Jesus, he's saying something different. He's saying, listen, yeah, vengeance is coming. Judgment will come. There, there will come a day when I come again, Jesus will say later in, in the gospel, he says, I'm coming again, and when I come again, it will be in judgment. But today is a day of grace. And Jesus is saying, I'm here with grace, not just for you. I mean, they, they thought, wait a minute, when the Messiah comes, he's going to set Israel back to its rightful place. So here they're thinking, Jesus has come. Man, Joseph's son has come back, and he is the Messiah, and, and, and he's going to make those who are poor not poor anymore. Well, that's us. Rome's oppressing us. He, he, he's going he's gonna to come, and he's going to take Rome out. Finally, it's coming. And they're thinking, yes, the Romans are toast. They're, they're thinking even beyond that. They're thinking those other Israelites who aren't as righteous as we are, those ones who don't actually follow the Torah, those ones who are actually okay with Rome and they're, they're, they're actually assimilating into Roman culture instead of staying true to what we've been called to by God. Man, those guys are toast too. And then Jesus says, let me explain to you why I'm here and how I come in between those two sentences of the Lord's favor, and the Lord's judgment. So he goes on, verse 24, he says, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came all over the land. And Elijah, this great prophet, was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who is a widow. Now, he, he's quoting a story from 1 Kings, and, and really he's, he's quoting a prophet that they would all be like, yeah, now he's talking about the prophets we love. And what did Elijah do? And he goes, there was this famine. People are dying. And God stepped in, but he chose not to save the people of Israel. His first choice was to send Elijah to somebody who wasn't even an Israelite to save a widow. He goes on in verse 27, he goes, and, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Now he's telling a story from 2 Kings. Everyone's suffering, and God didn't choose to heal his own people that were suffering, but he chose an outsider, and not just an outsider, the king of Syria. That's a, one of the countries that was oppressing Israel, and God says, I'm going after him, I'm going to save him. And Jesus saying, this is the mission I'm on as your king. I'm not on your little string. You can't control me. This is going to look a little bit different than you think. And when he lays this all out, they're starting to get the picture of what Jesus is saying here. Because verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Wrath is a strong word. They're not just writing an angry email, right? They are ticked at what Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. Look at verse 29, and they brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. They're looking to kill Jesus. 
verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away. I love, Luke doesn't really explain how that happens. I don't know what's going on there. In my mind, I think, because this is uh, the age I, I am and how I grew up, I think Looney Tunes. Remember when, like, there'd be all the fighting going on and then Bugs Bunny would just step out of the, and just, it's all happening, right? And he's, <laughs> right? I don't know if that's what Jesus would do, but if there's this big commotion. They think they've got Jesus, and all of a sudden, he's gone. He steps out. Why? Because he's on the mission of the gospel. So I want to unpack for us quickly this morning, what is this mission then? I mean, Jesus wants to be clear. Hey, this is the mission I'm defined by. This is the mission. It's not, it's not socioeconomic. It's, it's not going to be defined by your intellect. It's not going to be defined by how connected you are. It's going to be defined by faith in Christ alone. And faith in Christ, it'll trump your past. It'll overcome your struggles. It'll be greater than who you think you are. It'll be greater than, than what other people have said you are what you believe about yourself, what others have believed about you. Jesus is stepping in and he's saying, hey, I want to tell you about these, these people from history who God reached in to history to rescue. And what he's saying in these two stories is if, if you want to respond to this good news, it's only for, listen, the gospel is only for those who are poor. Now understand what I mean here. I, 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 when you see the, the two stories of Elijah and Elisha going to these people, one of them was literally poor. She was a widow with nothing. The other one was a king, though. He was rich. So, so what do I mean when I say that only for the poor? You, you start to read in Luke, and you see Jesus begins to reach out right away, and he's helping the poor. He, he right away, he goes to heal a lame man who can't walk. But then right after that, he, he goes to Matthew, a tax collector, a guy who is a wealthy guy. So, so what do I mean when I say only those who are poor can respond to the gospel? Well, when the Pharisees saw that Jesus was celebrating with Matthew, so Matthew gives his life to Christ, says, I want to follow you. I'm leaving behind my tax-collecting ways. And all of his buddies get together. He invites all of his friends. Now, you can imagine, if he's not a great guy, what his friend circle will look like, right? He invites his poker buddies over. He invites all his friends over. They all come to celebrate this new life he has. And the Pharisees are like, look at Jesus. He hangs out with sinners. What does Jesus say? Those who are well don't need a doctor. Only those who are sick. He says this, I haven't come for the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. He's saying this, I've come for the poor. I've come for those who know they're poor. I've come for those who see that they have a past. I've come for those who recognize they have baggage. I've come for those who've done shady stuff in their lives. I've come for those who aren't always the most moral and upstanding people in our community. I'm calling for those who haven't followed my rules and my laws. And he says, guess what? I'm proclaiming favor to them. To who? To those who listen, know that they're lost. To those who know that they're blind. To those who know that they're held captive in sin. He said, I'm bringing grace. I'm bringing grace for Zacchaeus, the tax collector. The one raising taxes, making money on the backs of those who are being brutally killed and oppressed by the Romans. He said, I'm bringing grace to the woman at the well who, who had five husbands and now the one she's with, she's basically trading sex for a place to live. I've come to bring grace to her. I've come to bring grace for the, for the woman caught in adultery in John 8. I've come to bring, I, I love this story, Luke 7. 
Jesus goes to a Pharisee's house for a meal. He shows up at the house, and, and they don't offer him any hospitality. He's, he's eating the meal, but nobody's given him hospitality at all. And then what happens? All of a sudden, this woman breaks into the home, just bursts into the home, comes and falls at Christ's feet and starts weeping. And it turns out she's a prostitute. This prostitute comes into this, this religious guy's home, and she's weeping at Jesus' feet. Her tears are coming out so much, they, they soak his feet. She takes her hair and begins to, to wipe his feet. What's she doing? She's basically washing Jesus' feet, which is what the Pharisee should have had done when Jesus first came in. That, that's how you show hospitality. And, and it says in, in Luke, Luke says that the, the Pharisee was thinking to himself, if this guy were really a prophet, he would know who's touching him. And Jesus, knowing this guy's heart, he says, because I'm a prophet, I do know who's touching me. And I'm declaring the year of Jubilee for her. I'm bringing the gospel to her. It's good news for her. The spiritually poor. Listen, to come to Christ, you have to believe that you need to be healed. To be transformed by Christ, you have to recognize that you're poor and lost and broken. The, the spiritually poor person, it's the person who looks underneath their deeds. They, they don't look at their good works and go, this is what I do. No, they, they look underneath and even see the, the motives underneath those and realize, man, I need Jesus. I like how Timothy Keller says it. He says that to truly repent, you have to even repent of your good deeds. You know the good things I do. Jesus, I'm sorry. My motives aren't even right. These things aren't what save me. This isn't what gets me right before the Lord. It's your grace that does that. When you're poor, I mean, you look at the attitude of your heart and, and, and you see in your heart, man, this is how much I think I'm a better king than God is. You see where you run to other kings. You, you see where you, you try to make yourself the king. You, you see where you pull back on that string every so often and you see that and recognize, man, I'm broken and poor and blind and captive. And you, you see the futility in seeking after these other kings. You see that you really have nothing to offer God, that you're destitute and you say, I can only be saved through a gift. Only the gift of God. Only mercy and grace. And so you come to God and you say, God, you owe me nothing. God, God if, if you want to cast me out and my sin is enough for you to have nothing to do with me for all of eternity to completely judge me, I mean, that's your business, but God, you, you're gonna, you, you've given me the gift of salvation because of what Jesus, your son, did on the cross. I mean, that's somebody who's poor. That's someone who gets the gospel. And, and suddenly you, you realize in that moment that, that you're unacceptable on your own that you're unclean on your own, that, that only through Jesus are you justified, are you made righteous. But in that moment, you also recognize that you are completely and totally accepted by grace. And that, that salvation isn't try hard, do more, and hopefully one day you might reach the, no, 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 you recognize, man, right now, today, where I stand now, I stand in righteousness because of Christ's righteousness. You were blind, but now you see the reality of God. That's what it means. It, it means knowing that, that you're clean in the sight of God right now. And, and when Jesus preaches this good news, where he's saying to those who on the outside look so filthy, so dirty, so outside of acceptance, they got ticked off at it. Grace makes religious people, grace makes self-righteous people angry. How do you know if you're battling self-righteousness? It's when you get mad about grace. I mean, they're fine. Hey, Jesus, read the word. They're fine. Hey, hey, you preach the prophets, but, but as soon as you start applying the word, as soon as, soon as Jesus starts knocking over their little kingdoms, 
As soon as Jesus presses in on my kingdom of comfort, as soon as Jesus presses in on, on, on those kingdoms you have set up, those, those addictions, those idols, those, those, this is how I see the world, God. This is what I want to have happen. This is how I think you should work. Our self-righteousness wells up in us. And this is why they're mad. They're ticked off at Jesus. Think of it this way. Here, here's kind of the illustration I would use of where, where self-righteousness and me can really rise up. This is a picture of grace in, in my life. So, so when you're driving on the highway and there's construction happening and they start closing lanes down and they give plenty of warning. Get over in the lane, get over in the lane, get over. And so what do you do? I mean, because I obey the rules, because I like to follow rules, I'm like, okay, I will get over in the left-hand lane and I'm gonna be waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and then what happens, right? There's that person who, who up, the left, up the far right lane, right there, right to the very end, click, 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 they put the brake and they want in, right? And what makes me so mad are the people that let them in. I'm like, don't you know what you're supposed to do? Get up on that bumper. Don't give them space, right? It's why I don't have a Jesus sticker on my car. Because people know that guy driving the car is not about grace, all right? And what, what's the problem? What's going on? Why? I've been obeying the rules all along. I waited in line. I've been following the rules. Now, you want to get ahead of me? You want to just cut in right now? That's how grace feels to a religious person. That's how these people feel. We've been suffering for so long. We've been waiting for so long. We've been following the rules for so long. And now, all of a sudden, Jesus is at the front of that line just waving people in. Come on in. I know you just got here. You're in. Come on in. But here's the thing, when we don't have self-righteousness in our heart, because do you know who celebrates when, when poor people and broken people and, and people who are in captive are set free? Poor, broken, and people who are in captive. That's who celebrates. When you're, when you're rescued as a group, what do you do, man? You're celebrating as a group. There's nobody when they're rescued as a group going, oh man, why'd you rescue that person? No, you're like, I can't believe you made it too. It's when we're poor. When we recognize grace, we celebrate grace. But here's the thing. I think we sometimes get pretty hard on the religious people, on the Pharisees. Here's what I think. I think Jesus was so, working so hard to rescue them. I mean, Jesus was reaching out to them. He's saying, listen, listen you guys are blind. You're captive to religion. You're oppressed by your pride. You're spiritually bankrupt. You need grace. It's not just for the broken people. It's for the good church people too. And Christ is calling out to them. He's calling out to us saying, this is for you. You're the broken person. You and I are the broken and the needy. I heard this great story just last week of a, a, a church in England. It was, it was from a long time ago, and, and, and they were doing communion, and the pastor had called them up just to get on their knees, to take communion together on their knees, and he looked down, and as he looked down, he saw on their knees side by side a, a, a criminal who had just got out of prison, and beside him was the judge who sent him to prison. And he's just overwhelmed by that picture, and so he goes up to the judge after, and he says, man, did, did you know who you were kneeling beside? The judge says, yeah, I do. And the judge says, it was an amazing picture of God's grace. And the, and the preacher goes, so I know, I mean, that, that that guy would give his life to Christ. And the judge goes, no, 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 you don't understand what I'm talking about. I get that he would find Jesus. I, I get that he would recognize that, that only Christ could save him. And he goes, I can't believe God's grace in my life. 
He says, I was raised in a great home. I went to the best schools. I had all the money I could ever want and need. I had everything set up for me that God would reveal my lostness to me. He goes, I can't believe God's grace. I mean, that's somebody who gets it. That God would open our hearts so that we could see our brokenness, that we could see our spiritual poverty. It's an amazing act of grace. So this morning, I mean, do you need to, say, to see God's grace today more clearly? Do you see your heart rise up like the religious here where you say, no, I don't need Jesus. I got this covered. I've done all the right things. Are you trying to pull Jesus around on a string? Hey, you need to do this or I can't follow you as king. You need to do this or this isn't worth it anymore, Jesus. Or maybe you're on the other side of the equation. Do you see that God's grace is for you? That Jesus' mission is for you? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. And you're like, I don't know if I could, I could jump in on this thing. I don't know if I, I've lived the right life to be able to have this and to recognize that Jesus is saying, that's who I've come for. Those who have a past. Those who have a dark past. Maybe this morning you are a Christ follower, but you've been battling sin and guilt and shame. And, and I just want to hear the words of Jesus this morning where he says, I'm proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. That, that idea of, of God's favor, it's, it's this, this idea that, that God delights in you. That's what favor means. It means that God, God, God enjoys you. God doesn't just love you. He, he likes being around you. He, he likes your, your company. He, he enjoys who you are and delights in you. And it's this picture of a father and a child. I mean, have you noticed that just the heart of a, a parent towards their child is different than the heart of a parent towards every kid? Like my kids, when they, when they were younger, I have three girls. So, I mean, we went through the princess thing like crazy, right? So they would dress up as princesses and they would, Dad, watch me dance like a princess. And they would spin around for me and they'd make me sit down. Do you need to sit down? We got a whole program for you, a princess program. And you'd sit and watch. And here's what I don't do. When they would do that as little girls, I wouldn't go, come on. That is not how a princess spins. I've seen Snow White, right? You, you, gotta, you, gotta, you, just gotta, you gotta let it go. You just got to let it go, right? I, like, I don't do that. I don't, that's from a, a Disney movie. Okay, if you have daughters, you've seen that a thousand times. All right, that's not what I do. I, I, don't, I don't critique what they're doing. What do I do? Man, I'm just delighted in them. I just love that they're doing it. Now, I got to be honest. When, when your kids spin and dance, I'm not so impressed, all right? <laughs> Maybe that's just me. But what? My, my girls are my daughters. I love them. I delight in them. Why? Because I'm their dad. And, and I believe as Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah here, he's saying, you have a heavenly father who loves you, that favors you, that delights in you. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you rest in his promises, he said, listen, it's not because you're perfect. And he, even after you give your life to Christ to pursue and follow him as your king, to trust in what he says about you now as a new creation, listen, you're still not perfect. You still dance funny. Your crown's still not on right. You still fall over sometimes. But heaven is applauding as you do it. 
Why? 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 Because you've seen your desperate need for Christ. You've seen the bondage of sin that you are captive to. You've turned from it to pursue Jesus. And, and now you're in that daily battle of trusting what he says about you. Trusting him as your king and, and trusting him over your own control. Trusting him over the other kingdoms you, you, you're tempted to go and serve. That's the battle for us as believers. That, that's, where it's, that's where it begins and ends. Do I trust Jesus as king? Do I trust him enough to say you're in control? I found a, a great definition of this from a guy, a guy named Jerry Bridges. He says this about trust. Trust is not passive. He says, trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. Isn't that great? Trust isn't passive. It's us grabbing a hold of the promises of God, the promises that are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And we hold on to those in spite of the, the, the stuff going on around us, in spite of the, but Lord, this prayer hasn't been answered, but I'm gonna cling to the promises. Lord, this struggle is real, but I'm clinging to the promises. And you cling to the promise of God when, when you hear the lie that you need to earn God's love. No, I'm clinging to the promise of grace. It's clinging to his promises instead of holding on tightly to our little kingdoms. It's, it's clinging to the promise of God when, when life circumstances aren't going the way we want them to go. Yeah, I love it. Later on in, in the Gospels, John the Baptist is in prison and he's now starting to doubt, man, is Jesus the Messiah? And so he asks his followers, hey, 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 go ask Jesus if he is the Messiah. And Jesus gives this answer back. And he, he almost quotes this whole mission. He says, go tell him. Tell him the, the blind see, the lame are healed. And I can imagine John going, and the captives, remember? The captives set free. Jesus, Jesus didn't say that. John the Baptist was beheaded in prison. Jesus said this when he said, tell John this. Tell, tell him that the, the, the blind see. Tell him that the, the, the lame walk. But also tell him this, that blessed is the one not offended by me. He's saying, blessed is the one who trusts me as king. Blessed is the one who trusts me living in this space between the kingdom has come but has not yet been fulfilled. Trust me in this space where, yes, we pray, yes, we see miracles happen, but sometimes God says, not now, not here, not this way. And we, we understand that the, the ultimate fulfillment of this promise that Christ gives is coming later, and we live in this in-between time where we trust in him. But here, here's the last point for us this morning is this. If that's the mission that we're under, listen, as Christ followers, we're on that same mission. You can't receive this grace and then not be sent out on mission. You, you, you can't jump on the mission without receiving the grace either. It does no good to go out and just do good deeds. But when you recognize that Christ has changed you, man, you're on, you're on mission. Becoming a Christ follower, it's, it's less about stepping into a building. It's like jumping onto a moving train. Jesus is like, let's go. We're moving. Yeah, but I don't know if I'm ready yet. You're ready. You've got grace. Be on the move and point people to a better kingdom. And he says this, this mission we're on, it's for the outsider. 
It's not an insider's club. It's, it's, it's always been this way. That's what God told them in, in the Old Testament. He says, hey, listen, you're supposed to be a blessing to the nations. You're, you're my chosen people, but I chose you to bless the nations around you. That's who we are as a church. So, so listen, Harvest is a place for you to grow, a place for you to be loved, a place for you to be discipled, a place for you to be encouraged, a place for you to be challenged. But as soon as you start to get this idea that Harvest is for me, man, you better have things right for me. This had better work out perfect for me. Why are you not singing the songs I like? How come things aren't working out the way I want them? Listen, listen, we are supposed to gather, and there is supposed to be a time where we're encouraged. We come alongside each other. We worship together. We, we grow together. But the whole purpose is we gather to go. We gather to be sent. We're both gathering and sending. It's a, it's a place to land and find rest and find care and find grace and find forgiveness and find healing. But then we take that good news out with us to proclaim the year of Jubilee. So when you're changed by Jesus, I man, you get on this mission. You, you grab an invite card for Easter, man. I, I gotta invite my friends to church for Easter because I bet they'll come out then. And I hope they hear the gospel and respond to the gospel then. It's, it's why as a church we're fired up to care for those who are broken. Why, why are we looking to hire another biblical soul care pastor? Because we want to continue to grow as a church to be a safe place for people to land so that we can walk alongside each other, so we can reach out even more to, to more people who need to hear the good news of the gospel. It's, it's why as a church we're committed to just caring for practical needs in our community. I mean, you might know if you're, if you're tracking with our finances, you see the benevolence keeps growing. Have you seen that? Man, it's a big number right now. You guys are very generous. As elders, we got together this Tuesday, and we're like, it can't be like this. We gotta give this away. We gotta find people who need, and, and it's not that we're not, we're trying to give more away, but we're like, what are some big items? And just amazing to pray together, to call out to our small group leaders, to pray to go, hey, are there big needs in our church? Because we wanna help people in need. It's the mission we've been called to. We don't just sit here and mumble some songs on a Sunday and then just leave here like, oh, I'm glad I did that Sunday thing. No, we go out to bring the party out there. And what if we became people who, who, who gave so generously, who, who lived so justly, who acted so mercifully, who, who spoke so passionately, who loved so extravagantly that all of our neighbors would be like, what is with this harvest place? I mean, they, they just keep loving us and we don't give a rip about their God, but they just keep loving. Hey, what's going on? Why are you doing this? And we could say it's because of Jesus. Can, can I tell you about Jesus? These guys here, they, uh, they tried to kill Jesus for his message of grace and he walked away. It wasn't his time yet. But listen, this, this is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday we remember Jesus coming into Jerusalem as the king and knowing that in a next week we'll celebrate that on the next Friday he didn't walk away that time. Another group of people gathered around to kill him and he faced it head on. Willing he went to the cross, not in failure but in victory, to, to take our sin and our shame and our guilt on himself. And as, as Jesus entered Jerusalem, the people started to shout Hosanna. And, and that's a, a shout of, of hope for salvation. That's what they're calling out for, that, that God saves, God saves. And, and so this morning, I mean, do you see your need for Jesus as your king? To see that you're poor, you're blind, you're captive. Or... And you can cry out Hosanna, God can save. Maybe this morning it's your marriage. 
Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's unanswered prayer. Maybe it's a stronghold in your life that you've served that stronghold, that, that lie for so long, that king for so long. You can't imagine serving another king. Listen, Hosanna. Christ has come as king. A king who saves. If, if you're in that place of hopelessness, listen, Jesus says, I've come to proclaim the year of jubilee. If, if you're in that place where you're like, listen, listen man, I'm, I'm so fired up about grace. I just love my Lord so much. Then celebrate that this is the year of jubilee, that we're living in a time of grace, that we get to go out with that same message. Be encouraged that Jesus has called you on his mission with him. Would you stand with me as I pray as the worship team comes up? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have provided a way for us to be redeemed, to be transformed. And, and it's in this moment, Lord Jesus, that, that we could hear you calling for us to come. That those who are broken to come, come find healing. Those who are, are carrying the weight of sin, you don't have to carry it any longer. That Jesus, you've come to restore the brokenness. So that we can come even this morning with our hands open to say, Jesus, I give you my brokenness. I give you my pain. I give you the good things even. All these other kingdoms that I've tried to follow, I give it all to you. And Jesus, with arms open wide, says, welcome. Welcome. And he sends us out on his mission. Lord Jesus, thank you for that. Thank you for your grace that took blind people and made them see. To poor people and set them free. That took captives and released the oppression. That our hearts and our lives and our souls right now, right here, are set free for eternity. Send us out on that same mission, Lord Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.